Morning, church. As you're probably well aware, I'm not Pastor Mike, and I will not be continuing in Proverbs this morning. My name is Caleb. I serve the church as the pastoral assistant. I guess I'm so used to saying that I've got to say it again. Uh, instead, the elders have been kind enough to graciously uh, allow me the opportunity to preach and have encouraged me to use these opportunities as they present themselves to preach somewhat of a mini-series through 1 John. So today we'll start with 1 John, and Lord willing, we will continue at the end of May with 1 John 2 and so on. So why a mini-series through 1 John? Well, a couple reasons. One, currently at Youth Night, the students and I are studying through 1 John as it is, so this gives me uh, opportunities to study it more in depth. I'm already immersed in it, and it helps me with sermon preparation. So quick plug, if you have any questions about 1 John after the sermon, just ask one of the students. They'll probably be able to give you an answer. At least they should. Second, it's good to just have a healthy diet of both the Old Testament scriptures and the New Testament scriptures. So Pastor Mike started a series through Proverbs in the Old Testament, and, and what better way to jump into the New Testament briefly than a small New Testament letter. And thirdly, Christians believe that all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. And 1 John, as the authoritative, infallible, inerrant word of the living God, I believe is home to key foundational truths about God's love for us, our life in Him, and how it all works out in our daily lives. So here we are. If you haven't already done so, turn in your Bible with me to 1 John. If you don't have a Bible, you can use one of the blue pew Bibles under your chair or in front of you. The text can be found on page 1021. As you turn there, let's consider some helpful information about 1 John as we start the series. The purpose of John's first letter, we've done this, is for those who believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to know that they have eternal life. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you can know, have full assurance that you have eternal life. According to the larger context of 1 John, we find that the Apostle John, the author, seems to be writing to a church that is undergoing a serious split. Now, we're not talking about a split over carpet colors or wall paint. We're talking about a serious split, a gospel serious split. We're talking about maintaining the purity of the gospel serious. The people leaving in chapter 2, John highlights them with severe language, calling them antichrists, liars, deceivers. They went out from us because they were not of us, John says, referencing that the Antichrist left from inside the church. Reading through 1 John, we can infer that these people were denying that they were sinful. They were denying that love was necessary. They did not love the brethren like they should. In fact, they hated the brethren, one another, other Christians. But even more fundamental than this, they denied that Jesus was the Messiah. They denied that he came in the flesh. The most fundamental question of the Christian faith, who is Jesus? They denied that he was the Savior, the Son of God. From the remainder of the book, we can infer that these antichrists were in love with the world. They were walking in darkness. They were deceiving these brothers and sisters in the church all while saying they have fellowship with God. 
I think it's safe to say for the sake of the purity of the gospel, for the sake of gospel truth, for the sake of these brothers and sisters, John writes this letter to lay out very clearly who Jesus is, what it means to believe in him, and what genuine belief looks like from the outside. So before we dive in, let's remember that these kinds of problems, these heresies, are not foreign to us in 2022. In fact, these issues we see here plague the church today. Maybe, maybe you have been a witness to these things, or, or maybe just me, but people claiming to have fellowship with God, but they could care less about the gospel. People claiming to believe the gospel, but their lives don't match that testimony. Or how about people sitting in the pews right next to us who come week after week after week who claim to follow Jesus, but the moment they step outside those doors, their lives look no different than the world around them. Lovers of the world, lost, liars, deceivers. But it's beautiful, church, how God's word yet again proves timeless so that here in Northern Virginia 2022, it's just as applicable to us as it is the first recipients. So let's, let's sit at the apostles' feet yet again and see what the Holy Spirit would have for us in this letter, starting with the first chapter. Let's read together, 1 John 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest. And we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I love bacon. Amen. I use this illustration with our students, so quick shout out, students. Hey, don't give it away. I love bacon. So let's just say one of these days you decide, I'm going to bless Caleb. So you bring Caleb 
this plate full of bacon. Wow. So you bring me this plate loaded with crispy, juicy, Canadian ham-sized slices of prime bacon. I love bacon. And I take one of these slices, and I start eating it right then and there. And as you witness what's happening, your concern for my well-being is probably intensifying. You have expectations of how this will all end. I'll eat the bacon, I'll finish the plate of bacon, and everybody will be happy. Me because I'm full and you because you gave it to me. But as I'm eating the bacon, my face changes. I start to grimace, and then I start to gag, and then I spit the bacon out onto the floor, and I ask you for a trash can, and it's all disgusting, it's all gone downhill, and when this dramatic display is over... And the awkward has settled down. I look you right in the face and I say, I love bacon. Do I really? Do I really? Well, you'd probably say no. But you would only say no because you already have some objective standard as to what it looks like when somebody loves food. They actually eat it. They enjoy it when they put it in their mouth. It tastes good to them. They love the smell. They eat all of it when it's presented to them. So according to that standard, no, I don't love bacon. I can't love bacon. I must be lying. And you can say that with confidence, that I'm lying, because you know what it looks like when someone actually loves bacon, and that's not what I look like. Now, it's a silly illustration, and we aren't talking about bacon this morning, so sorry to get your hopes up, but we are talking about something far greater, something foundational to the apostles' message in 1 John. We are talking about fellowship with God, intimate communion and with the triune creator and sustainer of the entire universe. Fellowship with that God looks a certain way. And John shares with us the standard as to where this fellowship begins, how that fellowship continues, and what it looks like from the outside. And that is where we are headed this morning. And thankfully, the ESV breaks our passage in half, which is exactly what we're going to do together. So first, let's consider verses 1 through 4 in this way. Fellowship with God begins with Christ and continues with his church. Fellowship with God begins with Christ and continues with his church. I want us to see John's emphasis on the interconnectedness, the inseparability between fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. John, in the beginning verses of this letter, really presses on this idea of fellowship. He front loads Fellowship. He says it four times in the first seven verses because it's so important to the remainder of his message, the, the, the purpose of his message as a whole, so much so that he assumes the reader actually keeps it in mind as they read. He doesn't explicitly say fellowship again, but the whole letter is riddled with what it means to have fellowship with God and what it means to have fellowship with the church, with one another. So what does John mean when he says fellowship? Well, this word koinonia is a dense word. It's been translated fellowship here, but we can look throughout the New Testament, 1 Corinthians, it's translated participation. In 2 Corinthians, it's taking part in something. It's contributing to something. Or in Philippians, it's partnership. 
or could even be translated sharing with. So broad definitions, but as we see all of these, we begin to better understand just what John is saying here. The fellowship with God, fellowship with us, verse 3, is characterized by unity around a single message. Everybody taking part in or sharing in this message. Well, what is the message we all share in? According to the opening verses of this text, what is the message that brings us into fellowship with God and with his church? It's in verse 2. The eternal life. Eternal life isn't some abstract thing out there. Eternal life is not something that can be earned. It's not something you can find through meditation and focus. It's not something you've had for all eternity and now you're in a body and you just have to get back to it after you die. No, John wants to be really clear, wants us to know the eternal life is a person. And he's a witness to this person. Let's look back at verse 1. The eternal life was from the beginning. John points out he is one among many witnesses to this eternal life. Primary sources, primary sources who John says multiple times heard the eternal life. They saw it with their eyes. They looked upon it. He says again, they touched the eternal life with their hands. The life was revealed to them. They saw it and now they have a message to proclaim. The eternal life, verse 2, was with the Father and was made manifest to us. What does this language remind you of? What does it bring to mind? This language is reminiscent of John's language in his gospel account, the gospel of John, chapter 1. He writes, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Fast forward to 4, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And then verse 14, And the Word became flesh, And dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The eternal life that was made manifest was Jesus, God himself in the flesh. And and let's think about this for just a second, okay? In verse 5, John tells us the message they learned from Jesus is that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Let's think about this. God is light. As the triune God, he is perfect in splendor and in holiness. He is righteous and in himself is righteousness. He is set apart from his creation because he himself is the eternal uncreated God, glorious and holy and mighty. God is good, not just because of what he does, but because goodness defines who he is. This mighty God who has no darkness in him at all, who stands as the righteous judge over all those who are wicked and sinful at heart. All of us, the God who deserves all glory and honor and praise from his creation, stepped down into his creation. He stepped down into it. He became a man. The eternal life was made manifest. John saw it. He heard it. And he touched God. And he did not die. What grace and mercy. Not only that God would stoop down to dwell with sinful humanity, but that he would offer them life in himself. 
Do you know this God? Do you know him? Do you know this life? Is there any desire in you to have this life? To have fellowship with this God? Fellowship with God begins with Christ. Because left to ourselves, we know from Paul and Ephesians 2, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are without hope and without God in this world. Listen, friend, if you're trying to get to God without going through Jesus, you won't make it. Jesus himself says, John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How do you expect, if that's true, how do you expect to obtain life without knowing the eternal life himself? can't. You can't because only Jesus can reconcile sinners like us from the dark that we walk in to the God who is light. He can give us eternal life because he himself is eternal life. To have fellowship with God, we must turn away from the dark. We must turn away from our sin and turn towards Christ in repentance and faith. There is no darkness in God at all. So if we expect to stand in his presence one day with confidence, there can be no darkness in us. Is there any darkness in you? How do you plan to fix that? Can you? Do you feel, do you feel the weight of your sin as it separates you farther and farther and farther away from the living God? Maybe you're wondering, how, how is it possible for somebody who's done what I've done to be right with God? How is that possible for me, in my darkness, to have fellowship with a God who is light? How can I be unified with Him? How can I share in that holiness after all that I've done, friend, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. He is the eternal life. And he says, confess your sins and be cleansed. We can have fellowship with God because we come to him, not by ourselves, but through Jesus. If we believe this message, that Christ lived, died, and rose from the grave to save sinners like you and me from the dark, we have fellowship with God. Our debt is paid in full. We're reconciled to him. The scriptures are clear that we become sons and daughters of the king. Something changes. Something changes in us. We become co-heirs with Christ. We're justified and sealed by the Holy Spirit to bear fruit until Jesus returns or we go home to him. What a fellowship. And make no mistake, we get to experience that fellowship here, right now. Right now. And we can be sure right now that we do, in fact, have fellowship with God. But how? Many of us are familiar with this mental, spiritual, emotional battle of assurance. I'm right there with you. 
Am I really right with God? How do I know? How can I be sure? What about if I did this? What about after what I'm doing right now and I say I follow him? Can I be right with God? Am I? In verse 3, John points out that he proclaims this message with a purpose. So that, he says, you too may have fellowship with us. In verse 4, the reader sharing in the same fellowship with John would complete his joy. So we now know that fellowship with God begins with trusting in Christ to be saved from your sin and the reality of your transformed life from the inside out shows up. It manifests itself as you fellowship with other believers. You have fellowship with God through Christ. They have fellowship with God through Christ. You both have fellowship with the same God. And through his son, Jesus Christ, you have now fellowship with one another. You're unified around, participating with, to use those definitions, sharing in the same message together. And the Lord has graciously orchestrated it this way, that we together could visibly live out our fellowship with God through our fellowship with one another. Friend, the best ammo for battles of assurance are the brothers and sisters God has brought around us in his gathering. That's the best ammo. They both go hand in hand. Fellowship with God, fellowship with one another. And this is best displayed in the life of the local church because we're doing life together in close proximity, side by side. If you love God, You seek to love other Christians around you. That's what logically flows. In your commitment to other Christians around you, you're visibly displaying your commitment to Jesus. Fellowship with God begins with Christ and continues with his church because it's through our love for each other that we prove our hearts have been changed. Even in John's beginning words about fellowship, he has already started separating the wheat From the chaff. It begins with Christ. Do you believe in Christ? Not just, yeah, he lived, he existed kind of belief. Do you actually believe that what he did was for you? That he died for your sin, rose from the grave, conquered death in your place so that you could have a relationship with God? Do you believe that? Have you repented of your sins? And trusted in Christ for salvation? Or have you sought salvation in other things? Do you seek fellowship with other Christians because you have fellowship with God? Or how about this? Maybe you're trying to skip Jesus and just have fellowship with other Christians because you desire the community. Is that honest of your heart? Does that reflect what is true on the inside? Can we have real fellowship if we don't believe the same message? We can't. Fellowship is around unity around the same message. We're sharing and partaking with the same message. There is no biblical category for someone who has fellowship with God but does not have fellowship with other Christians. 
and vice versa. The Lord has made it this way, and that's for our good. That's for the good of the church. That's for our individual good. John 13, 35 says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, if we talk of genuine fellowship with God and the church is not enough to sort between the truth and the lies that this church is facing, John starts to make things simple and clear, which leads us to the second and the final point. Fellowship with God is self-evident. Fellowship with God is self-evident. Now, let's not get words mixed up. I don't mean by self-evident that all the evidence you need is in yourself. That's not what I mean. We'll talk about the dangers of this as we walk through these next few verses. But what I do mean is that you should be able to tell when someone is in fellowship with God. It's obvious. You can see it from the outside how they live. It looks different when they actually have fellowship with God than if they didn't have fellowship with God. So here in verse 5, John sets us up with a litmus test. This is our constant. The unchanging, eternal God of light who has no darkness. He's the standard by which we are all measured. Light, give some definitions here. Light representing truth, righteousness, and life in contrast with Darkness, which represents lies, unrighteousness, and death. So as we make our way through these verses, I would ask that you be honest with yourself for the next five, ten minutes. Be honest with yourself. Put your life here and put this text right here. And as we walk through it, I want you to see where it measures up and where it doesn't. And I want you to be honest with yourself because I think that being honest with yourself is for your own good. Do I have fellowship with God or not? Do I walk in the light or do I walk in the dark? Let's hear the Apostle John. Let's look at verse 6 and 7. He says, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. How you walk says more about your heart than how you talk. Plain and simple. You could say you love bacon all day, but if you're disgusted by it, you don't really love bacon. You could say you have fellowship with God, but if you're living your life walking in sin and disobedience to him, you're a liar. You are a liar. And not only that, John says you're a double liar. It seems funny, but that's a pretty heavy emphasis. John says you lie and you don't even practice the truth which means you lie to the uttermost. It means you are defined by lies. Is that you? Is it you? Do you say one thing but live another way? 
I'm not just asking the people who would say they have fellowship with God, but they're living their lives in complete scandal. No. I'm also asking the people who would say, I have fellowship with God, but they never open his word. They never spend time in prayer with him. They don't desire to love others, and they certainly don't desire to gather with other Christians. What does your walk say about you? What does it say about your desires? Do you desire comfortability over sacrifice? Do you desire what makes you feel good rather than what makes you holier? Do you desire the couch over community? Where are you at? Be honest with yourself. Your eternity is at stake. In verse 7, it says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Part of us being honest with ourselves is first recognizing, do we believe the gospel? If you don't, then you are walking in darkness. But brother or sister, if you do believe the gospel, if you're banking all your faith on the Lord Jesus to forgive you and cleanse you, you are walking in the light as he is in the light. And look at this text. If you're walking in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Listen to this. You have a family. You have a family. You have men and women who love Jesus and love you that you can call your family. But something just as beautiful, John points out, the blood of our Savior cleanses you from all sin. Brother, sister, is there a sin that you fight daily that you feel like you can't break? Is there sins in your life right now that you feel burdened by beyond belief? Are there sins that you think keep you from Christ or Christ from you? Jesus cleanses you from all sin. All of it. There is no sin too great, no stain too bright that our Savior's blood cannot wash white as snow. Jesus cleanses you from all of it. All of it. If you're walking in darkness, this reality of forgiveness and being cleansed by Jesus can be your reality too. You can be cleansed of all your sin, no matter what you've done. No matter how far you've gone. No matter what you're even doing right now. And you can be brought into this visible family. The gospel on full display as we love and care for one another. God gave us each other to keep watch on one another, to ensure that we are walking in the light as he is in the light. And I'm saying you can look at a brother or sister and you can know they have fellowship with God. You can see it. And you can encourage them to keep walking in the light. Lord willing, I can see it in you. And Lord willing, you can see it in me. So that when I'm struggling with doubt and despair, and I'm tempted to believe every single lie that 
Satan has to offer to me, you step in to that darkness with the light of Christ and you can pick me up and you can remind me of that message that has brought us into fellowship with God and with one another. You can remind me that Christ died for me, that I'm forgiven, cleansed from all my sin, and you can encourage me to keep on walking. Do you need to be reminded of this today? I would encourage you, if you need to be reminded of something like this, reach out to a brother or sister and talk about what's going on in your life. The struggles that you're facing that you haven't let anybody in on yet, maybe you need to reach out to somebody. Maybe you need encouragement to, uh, to be the person who speaks the truth into a brother's life or a sister's life. Reach out to them and encourage them if the Holy Spirit has laid somebody on your heart. That's why we're here. We're here for each other, to encourage one another, to love one another, to assure one another. If you don't have fellowship with God this morning, you can. I want to be clear. You can. Talk to somebody you've seen up here. Talk to me. I would love to walk with you to Jesus. I love walking to Jesus. Now let's look at verses 8 through 10. John says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Remember I said, let's be honest. Holding yourself up, holding this standard up. Do you say you have no sin? And remember, as we've seen up to this point, words don't really matter when you're walking something different. So, you may not even say out loud, I don't have sin. But listen to this. The longer you walk in darkness, the more you're rejecting the clear message of the gospel. The message is that you are a sinner. In fact, you have sin. You are full of sin. We all are. And Jesus came for people like us. If you don't believe this message, then you are proclaiming with your life that you don't need a Savior because you don't have sin. What's alarming is that John actually says, not only are you a liar, but he's taking it a step further and you've actually deceived yourself. And the truth is not in you. How often does our society preach to us that we should trust ourselves? You can't trust anybody else. You can only trust yourself. How often does it preach to us that we always know what's best for us? We don't need anybody to tell us what to think or do because we know what's best. Well, this text shows us that that couldn't be anything farther from the truth. The lies society preaches to us have lulled our ears and our eyes to sleep, thinking that we are our own source of truth. If you're sitting here today thinking you have no sin, you have actually, according to this text, deceived yourself. Did you know that you were capable of that? Did you know you were capable of lying to yourself and believing that lie? Yes. We are all capable 
of self-deception. The scriptures are clear. Paul, again, in Romans 3, that we are wicked to the core. Our hearts are wicked and we can't trust ourselves. In fact, we shouldn't. We shouldn't trust ourselves. The truth is not in us. The truth is in the eternal life. Jesus, if you know you do have sin, John says, confess it. Confess it. If we confess. Now, confess, what does it mean? It means that we openly acknowledge what God has said about us is true that we are walking in darkness, and we confess that back to God. We verbally agree. We acknowledge that it's true. We confess our sins, and we confess, again, with that, that Jesus is faithful and that he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful because he is the God who keeps his promises. He never turns away a prayer of repentance and trust. If we come to him and we ask him to have mercy on us, he will have mercy. And he is just to do so because Christ paid the penalty that we deserved for our sin. He paid it in full on the cross. He paid the debt that we owed for our sin to a holy God. And he reconciled us to God. Paul says God did this so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And so he is. Again, he cleanses us. But John goes a step further, saint, to say from all unrighteousness, all of it, all sin, all unrighteousness, double. I'm sure there are some Christians here this morning who struggle, like me, with guilt and with shame, and that fuels your doubts about your fellowship with God. So remember this promise through the Holy Spirit, that he will forgive you. And the scriptures say, he casts your sins as far as the east is from the west. He remembers them no more. He cleanses you from all. Let that sit in. Let it sink from all. Not just some. Not just the stuff you've done right now today, this morning, or the stuff you did a couple weeks ago that you've made up for. No. He forgives you for all of it. Brother, sister, if that's you this morning, you feel the weight of your sin, but you believe the gospel, lay aside the weight. Lay aside the weight and cling to Christ because you don't carry that weight anymore. You don't. Jesus has taken it on himself. You have been cleansed completely by Christ. There's no stain left for the accuser to point out. Or for you to point out in yourself. One practical way to fight the buildup of shame and guilt is to confess sins specifically. When we confess our sin, let's not generalize sin with God. Because God sees our hearts to the core, every thought and intention. He knows everything about what you've just done. So, Generalizing your sin actually downplays your sin, and when you downplay your sin, you downplay the gospel. Let's be honest about the wickedness of our hearts. If I stood before you today and explained the depths of my depravity, how wicked my heart is, and the things that I think, you actually shouldn't be surprised because you know that your heart is just as wicked. You know that you've thought and think and do things right now, like me, that are ungodly. 
sinful. But we all need Jesus. That's why we're here. He cleans us up. As wicked and disgusting as we are, he meets us there and he makes us new. Praise God. Praise God. If you haven't experienced that newness, that life, friend, the gospel is free. Jesus says, come all who are heavy. Do you feel heavy and weary? And I'll give you rest. But if you insist, like we see in verse 10, you insist that you haven't sinned. Not only are you a liar and you've deceived yourself, but worst of all, you've actually made God to be the liar. And just to be clear, calling God a liar doesn't always mean pointing your finger to heaven. Hard-hearted, persistent disbelief in the testimony of eternal life in Christ is the visible evidence of your rejection of God and that you've made him to be a liar. You say God is darkness, not light. And if you say this, then the testimony of his word is most definitely, most obviously, not in you according to the text. And you cannot say you have fellowship with God because you don't. Your life doesn't show it. You cannot say it. As long as you believe you're without sin, you believe you're without need of a savior, and you make God to be a liar, and you are separated from him. If you stay on that trajectory, friend, the word of God is clear that it is appointed for every man to die once, and after that we all receive judgment. When you stand before God, you will not be standing in the light, cleansed by the blood of Christ from all unrighteousness. You will instead be standing in your darkness, your unrighteousness, your, un your rejection of the eternal life, guilty, condemned. Did you answer the questions I asked you to consider as we did our walkthrough? I'll close with this. Do you walk in the light? Did you determine that you have fellowship with God? If you do, keep walking. Keep walking. Continue reading the scriptures and pursuing God so that you can know the truth and continue to practice the truth. Walk in the newness of life knowing that Christ has cleansed you from all sin and unrighteousness. Continue to confess your sins in prayer and even, if necessary, and I would encourage you to do so with a trusted brother or sister so that they can hold you accountable to those things because Jesus is faithful. He is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's be a family that points one another to what Christ has done as often as possible. Let's be a family that doesn't shy away from the truth, but embraces the truth and holds one another accountable to it. But on the flip side, what if you've discovered you do walk in darkness? What if you've discovered that you deceived yourself for some time in thinking you were right with God when you actually have been living life completely contrary to that? You've made God to be a liar and yourself to be true. Friend, you're in good company. You're in good company because everybody here is a sinner to the core. Each one of us daily at some point comes to the realization of how wicked we really are, but we don't stay there. You don't have to stay there. We confess our sins to God. We turn away from them. We put our trust in him. If you do this, hear me, you can be cleansed from all your sin.
the words you've said, the things you've done, the people you've hurt, all of it, you can be cleansed completely if you confess and come to the Savior. Let's pray.